This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. Get up to 30% off wedding jewelry at BlueNile.com and remember the joy of your wedding day forever. Blue Nile offers everything from diamond and lab-grown diamond wedding bands to classic pearls, earrings you can design yourself, even gorgeous sapphire pieces for your something blue. Whatever you choose, Blue Nile's pieces are all graded for excellence, for a lasting memento as brilliant as the love that inspired it. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. We don't want to do a podcast talking about Wigan because people will just take off their Beats headphones and throw them against the wall or something in, in rage. Yeah, I think there's, there's about 4,500 people who took the, the effort to go to Wigan who either never want to go there again or never want to talk about it again. Uh, even though uh, beers are around £2 a pint. And I had a very nice pie. Hats off to Mo. Great, great tip off there. Apparently Wigan's famous for pies. Oh, yeah. Well, bang, on, yeah. bang on the money. So I had a, a meat and potato pie, which was the highlight of the day. This is how you know uh, when football's going wrong is when people start clinching onto the uh, the memories of a pie they had or something I know, like yeah. <laughs> Desperate, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's best not to mention Wigan in this podcast. No, it was that bad. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to think about it. When I go home late at night, this is a song that I really like to sing right now, so I'll play it for you. It's uh, called My Old Man. have been told in the dressing room now but what we have to do is make sure that when we come back to Villa Park now we certainly put in a better performance than we did today and hopefully come the end of the season we can have them supporters who were rightly annoyed today um, singing their names at the end of the season. Welcome to the My Old Man Said podcast. I'm David Michael, the editor at MyOldManSaid.com. Joining me on the first show of the new year, Dan Rogers from thevillaunderground.com and Chris Bird, Mr. International DJ. Welcome, gentlemen. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Dan Rogers. Oh, sorry. I was Banger. just listening to Bird's new track on Spotify. Banger. Banger. <laughs> yeah, yeah, whatever. Whatever. There's only one thing you need to listen to on Spotify, and that's the My Old Man Said podcast. Follow it now. It's a shame that we're not all together in the same room because we could have had a theme for this podcast and the theme, I think, would be... We'd all be wearing pyjamas uh, in honour in, in honor of Corelli, that, uh, the pyjama-wearing goalkeeper who fucked up one of our uh, FA Cup attempts uh, because uh, <laughs> against Swansea, another goalkeeper came along and, let's say, on a good day, probably could have saved two or three of those uh, shots, but... Uh, 
actually, I would have probably have had to have worn about three pairs of pajama bottoms because uh, my <laughs> boiler broke uh, on the day of the uh, on the day of the FA Cup game. So uh, I've got no hot water or uh, central heating. So. Uh, if I suddenly stop talking uh, during the recording of this podcast, it's because I've frozen to death. Right, so... <laughs> Along with our promotion hopes. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we shouldn't laugh about our promotion hopes. <laughs> but if that FA Cup game is anything to go by, then uh, it's a long, long march to uh, May and the end of the season. Anyway, on a more cheery footing, <laughs> we will... Uh, it's we're a back. new year. That's we're all you need to know. We're back, we're back. And we're going to have a little look at uh, 2018 uh, and uh, the context of that in terms of what it means to Dean Smith's Aston Villa going forward. Has Dean Smith lost his swagger? Mm-hmm. What's been going on in the last few games? Why are Villa not resembling the all-conquering team that was blowing teams away just a few weeks ago? And, uh, well, there's all kinds of things happening. We're going to do a Where Were You When We Were Good, and we're going to look back to a festive game against Arsenal, which you may remember, when Santa Claus tried to pay uh, Villa Park a visit, and it all kind of went uh, wrong. But the main thing is we want to talk about is what's happening and what will happen this season. First of all, three points where we look at other things happening in the world of football. First one, since we last spoke, has to be uh, Jose Mourinho uh, disappearing and the baby assassin appearing and basically slaughtering anything that's come in Manchester United's path since he's taken over as caretaker boss. Do you think it was the right time for Mourinho to go? I mean, it's easy in hindsight because United have played a few easy teams and they've won them all to say, oh yes, it was perfect timing. But uh, what do you think about the Mourinho situation? It's a weird one because Mourinho clearly had to go and that that's one bit of it. But the other side of it that annoys me to a point is you see how some of his players have responded since he's gone. Mm. Yeah. You know, the likes of Pogba and Sanchez and these guys and some of the nonsense that came out just after he was sacked and things people were tweeting. And it's, and that whole situation says as much about his players as it does about him. Now, I don't particularly like Mourinho and I think he digs out his players and for various reasons it was the right time to go. But I also think there's a few guys in that United changing room who are toxic and mm. they're out for themselves. And if I was a, you know, a, a loyal United fan who's seen... You know, these great teams that have come through in the last sort of 10, 20 years under Ferguson, you'd look at some of the personalities in that changing room and you'd be thinking, these guys aren't in this for the long haul. They don't really want to be here. They're just here for the paycheck. Yeah, that's what I couldn't understand about United. It was under like Louis van Gaal. Was they were buying all these almost like ran, random like big names that didn't seem to fit in anywhere or never mind big names or not they were spending a lot of money on players that were just bought because you know they were the best available player at the time and they didn't mm. there didn't seem to be any rhyme and reason how they were going to fit together it wasn't like an Alex Ferguson team who which is a team and it seems to be an assortment of uh, indiv- you know individuals and I'd seen them a few times because my dad supports them and seen them at Wembley uh, win the league cup against Southampton and in a FA cup semi-final against Everton and there's just no ebb or flow about this team I mean Southampton whose boss uh, Claude Puel was uh, the manager at the time for Southampton and he was get- getting a lot of flack and he got booted eventually because you know they, they said he was his football was was boring and Southampton mm. were great to watch against that United team and, and it's just a horrible team. So Mourinho obviously not known for f- free flowing football, but he's known for effective football and 
getting a well-drilled team together. And there was mm. just too many individuals in that squad to ever do that, I thought. I think my, my only observation of Man United would be in, is in this context of Mourinho and what perhaps has come before, is that, that, that Ferguson had personalities and he had he had individuals, but he dealt with them and they were never bigger than Man United, were they? And that, I yeah. always think that's been the key with, with big clubs and... It's a symptom of the modern game, isn't it? That I think that, yeah. that to, to bring it to a Villa dynamic, Villa have always looked to you know within our within our sphere, bringing big big players and big individuals. But you, it doesn't work that way. And and I was looking yeah. at the Man United team um, towards the end of the Mourinho era into the new, and I thought, well, they haven't got that sort of Roy Keane type figure who you think you know you might not like the man, but it 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 brought a I don't know it tempered a lot of these these sorts of characters. I think, yeah. and, and also Ferguson yeah. wouldn't have tolerated it. No, there was that moment, wasn't there, before... Um, when he threw something at Beckham. When yeah. he, threw a, is he threw a boot at Beckham or yeah, something? he kicked a boot at Beckham. Yeah. Mm. I mean, there was that, there was the, I think it was before the game, was it Liverpool where he got sacked the next day? And I think it came out that uh, Jesse Lingard had had a clothing launch the same week. It's bizarre. You just think, and like, you know, you had uh, Roy Keane and Gary Neville on the telly talking about, yeah. that would never happen in a changing no. room with senior yeah. players. Like, people say that, oh, you know, they're allowed to have a side hustle, and all this stuff, and you think, well, actually, when you're getting paid hundred grand a week plus, do it in the summer. Yeah. Mm. No, this is the week of the most probably the most important game of the season for a Man United player, and especially for the fans. It just shows a complete lack of focus. Mm. Anyway, let's let's move on to uh, point number two. Although there there could be something in turning this into a Manchester United podcast because we'd have a shitload <laughs> of uh, global reach, global David. listeners. So uh, we'll we'll think about that. Anyway, I mean, uh, point- there's, there's a lot of marketing potential, isn't that right, Bud? <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> oh, it's anyway. a nice new track, Square One, available on Spotify right anyway. now. Featuring uh, Jose Mourinho. <laughs> <laughs> uh, point number two, Chris, you you talk us through this one. Yeah, so point number two is the in quote unquote magic of the FA Cup. Obviously, TV pulled the TV schedule all over the place this mm. weekend for the. Uh, were there only about eight three o'clock kickoffs on the Saturday? Which you yeah. know, third round weekend is traditionally the Saturday at three o'clock, and there were is it Friday night games. There's a Monday night game. There's all Saturday the evening, times Saturday lunchtime, well, Sunday at two. It there was, was just... loads at half twelve. Yeah, really. The weird. Blues were out of the uh, FA Cup before Villa kicked a ball. Standard. <laughs> I mean, Villa actually turned. I mean, I've written about this on the site. But Villa turned down a. Uh, I think BBC Wales offered to uh, screen the game, and obviously that would have moved mm. to Sunday. I mean, that, you know, nominal fee. I don't know, circa fifty thousand, whatever. That's why they obviously turned it down to give them the chance to actually get people back to Villa Park to entice them but obviously that didn't actually pan out too well but in terms of the magic of the cup I mean there was a couple of things that was funny I, th- I don't know if you saw the uh, team sheet for Newport versus Leicester obviously Newport <laughs> turned over Leicester with uh, Christian Fox on it <laughs> spelt F-U-C-K which uh, was quite amusing and uh, in terms even of, more amusing when Leicester lost. Well, exactly, and uh, probably in terms of magic moments of the FA Cup, I think that Will Evans, uh, Chesterfield, Will Evans, uh, the defender, managed to score a 95th minute equaliser for Chesterfield against uh, Ebel's Fleet, and then they gave away a penalty. Keeper gets sent off, and then he went in goal and saved the penalty as well. All this all happened in injury time. So, uh, I mean, that's something. Uh, it's one of those moments or moments where you, you kind of realise, well, that's actually, you know, why I still like football because, uh, you know, crazy stuff like that happens. 
a bit of giant killing. You know, obviously, Barnet put a shift in against I think Sheffield United. Oldham beat Fulham. But yeah, not, but are, are giant killings real giant killings anymore? Because not, I don't think I don't think they're surprises anymore. Because no, you, I don't. You think about like a second, you know, a sort of a, a reserve team Premier League side going to a pokey ground on a crap pitch. You think, well, yeah, they're probably going to get turned over. Newport looked at that team sheet of of fringe Leicester players and just thought, who the fuck are these guys? Never mm. heard of them. Suddenly, the fear factor's out the window, and they just they know they can turn these over. And this is, you know, it's what's happening. I mean, I think, you know, Cardiff went to Gillingham. I think you probably could have picked that one. I think there was a Ipswich went to Accrington. You probably could have guessed that would have been a defeat for Ipswich as well. You know, there's... Swansea went to Villa Park. You could have probably picked, ah, yes. picked that one as well. I mean, that, that was the first one I circled, to be honest. <laughs> uh, point number three, Dan Rogers. Oh, yes, the transfer window is back. It is the glorious, never-ending cycle of clickbait lies from <laughs> everything from local press to the villarunderground.com. And <laughs> already we've had Courtney House. Uh, it's a guy who's only got six appearances at Wolves in 18 months, central Shit. defender. And we were almost going, we need any defender. We need any defender. Get him in. Get him. Has he got a leg? He's got half a leg. Get him in. And, you know, we've, we've recalled Steer. From Charlton, we've obviously got Elphick back from Hull. Have you noticed now how these players coming back are almost presented uh, by the marketing department as new signings? Like Tommy Elphick even went to the extent of giving him a whole interview as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which kind of shows we're a bit desperate because these players officially, you know, initially went out because they weren't good enough to get in the team. Well, I think Alfik's perhaps the one who, I mean, I've got nothing against Alfik, but no, I, I think... No, never have I. He, he shouldn't um, have gone in the first place. He should never have gone in the first place, but I think that, that what we would hopefully all agree is that we should have strengthened at centre-half anyway and then if we're going to move him on, move him on, not yeah. not shoot ourselves in the foot as we did. Um, because essentially what, what we've what we've left ourselves is we're, we're scrabbling around now, um, bringing back an Elphick and to his credit, he's done well at Hull from all the reports that I've that, you know that I've read and, and from the bits and pieces that, that we've seen. But it, it sort of puts us back to where we were when we got relegated from the Premier League. You know, it was our, it was our first signing. Yeah. And for me, he's a, he's a good, solid pro. Um, I don't think he's got any pace whatsoever. Uh, and um, does he improve us? Mm, I think it tells you how bad our defence is. But in terms of just to summarising, to close off the, the transfer links, it's it's a real mishmash already that we're being linked to players like Dukure, who's who's out in Spain and, and hasn't played, you know, hasn't featured at all for Levante this season. Um, Marmite players like Neil Morpé, who obviously at Brentford, who, yeah, this was the guy who got a, a retrospective, I think, three-match ban for stamping on John McGinn, yeah. um, but is the Championship's leading goal scorer and has got, I think, six or seven well, uh, assists. Actually, Tam, Tammy man. Abraham uh, is a joint top scorer on 16. Well, there we are. So Wolves is new strike. I mean, uh, uh, Villa's current uh, top goal scorer. But one thing about Tammy Abraham, just to go back to that clickbait, uh, there was a story out, uh, I think it was uh, just before the game kicked off against Swansea. I think it was the Express that had said, BT Sport had said this, that Aston Villa at half time will announce what's going to happen to Tammy Abraham. And you think, yeah, totally. <laughs> who, what, Why? what, what universe? And they said, oh, and it's not going to be good news. And you think, well, what universe does a football club, you know, get, uh, say, 30 odd thousand in and, you know, the game's not going so well and they go, oh, half time. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. This does sound like something Aston Villa would do in fairness to the Express. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay, yeah. <laughs> so, so, apart from Aston Villa, what club? <laughs> Would announce like they were going to give you some bad news at half time on the Tannoys. This is bullshit. As soon as I read that, I thought this is a bullshit story, and this sums up the level uh, of discourse that we're operating now, where anything 
anything flies. And I mean, fair enough, if the whole world had uh, half a brain and they go, that's bullshit. I'm calling it. I'm not going to mm. spread it. But you know, if people spread spread the sun like it's uh, it's like it's Hansard or something. It's just not, is it? It's it's piece it's, of shit. Oh yeah, you know, justice to the uh, the Hillsborough guys, and you shouldn't buy the sun. And then the next week they're spreading it like it's Hansard, yeah. or uh, it's just <laughs> you know, it's just insane. And they don't realise that as soon as you if you click something, go, this is a lot of bollocks. You're playing into uh, yeah. the sun's hands. You just don't touch that shit. Full stop. Don't spread it and say, oh, this is a load of bollocks. Uh, speaking of not touching a load of shit, I, I see that Ross McCormack's joined uh, Motherwell. Yeah, I was hoping it was going to be that a, a deal like Defoe uh, going to Rangers where they actually said an 18-month deal, 18-month <laughs> deal, because uh, McCormack's actually got another year on his contract. But they've said and, it's and just an a- extension to his teeth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's Lord. definitely got the LA smile, hasn't he? <laughs> yeah, those pearly whites. I don't know what's happening in Australia, but yeah, I think he must have got them done there because I think he only played five games in his last loan spell. So uh, probably uh, spent most of the time... Uh, at, what do they call it? It's not dentitions. It's like aesthetics, isn't it? Anyway, <laughs> moving on to the show. First of all, uh, shout out to the patrons that signed up uh, over the Christmas periods. And uh, just before that, uh, Paolo Goud, Linval Meller... Erland Boerstein, Jonas Kohler, Isaac O'Connor, Andy Williams, Mike Cooper, Lewis Radford, and Paul Egan. Uh, please do uh, follow suit and support the show by becoming a My Man Said patron. Go to MyOldManSaid.com and click on the patron option. And please do support us in 2019. We want to take this uh, show on to different levels. Moving on to the show. Right, let's, let's Take the starting point as where Villa stands now. Their current position, assessing the impact of Dean Smith thus far, and what's got to happen in the next few weeks during the transfer window or in terms of getting people back from injury for Villa to have any chance of kick, kicking off again. Mm. And what are the limits of our aspirations? Now, from a starting point when Dean Smith took over, you looked ahead and you thought fixtures are he's he's essentially playing the top half of the uh, mm. league where Bruce had the pleasure of playing all the lower half teams and fuck that up. So it's going to be a tough one. But if Villa were to have any chance of promotion, he, he you know you, you can't just keep making excuses all the time. He had to roll his sleeves up and uh, start blowing teams away. Which uh, after you know initial uh, games against well he won the first one against Swansea, but after initial teething games against. Uh, Norwich and QPR getting the system and the way he wanted to play into place. It's it you know it went like wildfire. We were blowing teams away. Derby three nil, Middlesbrough three nil away from home. We were scoring at will, and then recently it's uh, it seems to have regressed a little bit. And people are saying you know we're back to Bruce Ball. I think Dean Smith would be disappointed because I think after we beat Derby in you know the Middlesbrough game, then we got a bit of a head of wind. He mm. was hoping to in the turn of the year be either in the playoffs or let's say very very close to them. I think we'd we'd circled December as being a very very difficult month under under Bruce's regime and yeah. and, and how things were looking then. And I think that that Smith. Um, he seems a reasonable guy and he says sensible things post match after all the games. And, and I think he'll look back at at how. Um, from being in a winning position in in many of those games, and some of the missed chances in some of the games that we've drawn, draws will be what kill us this season. I think. Yeah. He'll look back at December and um, <laughs> with, with some regret because he'll look at games like Nottingham Forest, where yes, we trailed repeatedly through the game, but we were, you know, they were down to ten men, and we we should have 
you know, we were ahead and we, we conceded a terrible goal. At the Albion, yeah. we draw 2-2. Yes, a freak equaliser. But we should have been out of sight if, if Tabor, uh, Abraham knocks that, that ball into the net. Yeah. Um, places like going to Preston and being ahead. Yeah, I think if we, like you say, if we still have that momentum and that, that gelling about us, you know, we go and put a performance in like like we did at Derby, and it's it's an it's no brainer, it's a no problem. These things combined put pressure on the upcoming fixtures for me, and and that's the winnable fixtures, by the way. But I think that we are in that in that unenviable position of having to chase the playoffs, and we we found ourselves in this in this position before, and it's a, it's it's a tall order because you've got to. You know, we're into a, into a mix of fixtures where you've got you've got to win consecutively three, four, five games, and we haven't done that yet. Because uh, interestingly, you said winnable fixtures there, and mm. I think that's immediately what Dean Smith did instill into uh, a this team and also a potential outlook for Villa supporters is he turned every game into a potentially winnable fixture. He described it as an obsession, didn't he? After Blues, every ga- winning every game is an obsession. Going to D- Derby and beating them 3-0 in a game that if we got beat there, we would have just shrugged our shoulders and gone, well, they're a good yeah, team. Yeah, you know, they'll be there. We, and then Middlesbrough, I mean, I thought that would be one of the hardest fixtures of, of the season and we just Great beat win. them then without fluttering an eye, you know, fluttering an eyelid. Is that the right expression? Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> it will work, work for this. And then the it baggage works. game, we should have won. And he was still chasing automatics and he still speaks about it. But yeah. the cold light of day was we needed to beat Leeds. And yeah, being at that game, the first half was was a surreal half because we were 2-0 up and it was happy days. But Leeds, as I said to uh, the person sitting next to me at half time, I said, we're going to need three. Mm. And Leeds I think are we all much- tweeted it, didn't we? Something similar. Yeah, and Leeds are very much alive in this. I mean, they were better than us, to put it this way, and, and we were 2-0 up. Yeah, but yeah. but we had so many chances to kill. We had a couple. Let's say I'm getting excited there. We had a couple of decent chances <laughs> to kill them off and get that third goal, and we wouldn't have lost that game. And I think wow. if we scored, Codger blazes over. You know, there's the if we scored three goals without reply, we would have won that game because that would have broken their backs. But in that game, I saw one team that will get automatic promotion, and that mm. was Leeds. I mean, what one thing I've seen over the, the Christmas period, and we've been saying this in every show since about August, is that there is still no standout team in the division. I just named one team that's going to get automatic, so I'll, I'll, mm. I'm classing them as a standout team. I well, think they've been the, the standout team that we've seen at Villa Park. I think that they've got, they are ripe for, they will find themselves like they were at Villa Park 2-0 down, and I think other teams will hold yeah. on to that 2-0 win against them. Yeah. Agreed. I think Leeds offer, a, they're very similar to Villa in a way in that they offer a lot going forward. But at the back, we've discussed before, I thought before we played Middlesbrough, Middlesbrough were the only good team with the back four. And I stood by that until that game. And Middlesbrough have looked reasonably solid since. But mm. I've looked at Leeds, Norwich, Villa, the Baggies have been leaking goals. Forest have been leaking goals or above us. Derby have. There's no team who you think, oh, they're going to just be solid. I don't think there's any team who are going to go on one of those ridiculous runs. Norwich's run has come, come to an end. Leeds have been having a wobble. We're actually probably very lucky that over Christmas, while we had a bit of a wobble, everybody else did as well. Mm. So yeah, we've actually but, lost a little bit of ground, but we could have potentially lost a lot of ground. Yeah, but we didn't, I mean, we also had a great, there was a couple, the last couple of weeks have been, I and mean, we haven't been playing, let's say, uh, top six teams against Preston QPR. We had a chance after the others wobbled to claw it back, but now we're... Yep. Five points of playoffs is uh, is a lot more than I expected. Let's say after we beat Middlesbrough, do you 3-0. think it's that? 
it's our game management that you look at games like the, the Preston game where we, we managed to draw, where, you know, it's so hard to get in front and you've, you've got that valuable away win. The QPR game at Villa Park was, you know, there, it was the scene of, of lots and lots of time wasting and, and, I don't know, disruption, if you like, from QPR. But they weren't, they hit us on the break. It wasn't complicated. They, they did their homework yeah. on us and, you know, we, we, we don't, I don't know why I said, uh, highlight individuals but that they worked out they could get in in behind the fullbacks and they targeted Hutton mercilessly in that game but I mean all you've got to do is cast your mind back to the the game at Loftus Road where they did exactly the same they destroyed us on the counter-attack exactly and um that's the that's the disappointing thing that you know both those games fall fall in the the Dean Smith era and this isn't uh, (laughs) this isn't the murmurings of discontent I want to be very clear (laughs) (laughs) on that point but both those both those defeats fall fall in the in the Dean Smith era but I think I didn't think it was a very good QPR team I don't think it was a particularly innovative approach they brought Steve McLaren for God's sake and I wonder whether if (laughs) if if we'd have played QPR on the day of the I don't know Say the Albion when we went to the Hawthorns and we played fantastically well. Admittedly, we drew there, but with that verve and that tempo, and we really have missed Grealish. And, and I, I've said in the last couple of weeks, it's uh, it's it, it shocked me actually how we, we don't seem to have that like for like swapping, and, it, and it's um, it, it's really hurt us. And it's I thought someone like Al Ghazi could fill that gap, but yeah, yeah Bilassi, Al Ghazi, Hurahan. I'm I'm looking at this team and I'm thinking, well, yes, of course you want Grealish. Mm. Smith is is now getting him in positions and telling him, you know, where to play that actually fulfills the potential prophecy of uh, Jack Grealish. Mm. So obviously it's a blow, but then you look at the talent we've got and you think, well, Al Ghazi is a player that just needs a kick up the backside. Bilassi. Mm. I mean, I don't think we've seen the best of Balassi yet. Horahan, is he somebody who uh, just has fleeting moments of, uh, you know, greatness? Is I mean, he obviously can finish. He he can obviously deliver a ball as well. Mm. But surely he can do something. Lansbury, for God's sake, why doesn't he do what he did at Forest? And you also think of the fact that every team that's ever got promoted from the championship hasn't had Jack Grealish in their team. <laughs> you think we've got enough to cover this. For me, a fully fit, fully firing Grealish was the difference to actually clawing back and getting automatic promotion. Without him, with his, you know, if he's off missing for a couple of months, one month, two months, I'm thinking, okay, we've got enough to get in the playoffs here. I, I think the difference has been that with without Grealish, that we, we scored that third goal with Grealish. And yeah. I think it's, a, it's also a symptom of our yeah. absolutely woeful defensive record. Until that's addressed, you're going nowhere. Yeah. I mean, I said it at the start of the season in in, a, in an article where I just said the undoing of Steve Bruce and the reason he's going to get sacked this season is because of the goalkeeper in defence. Mm-hmm. Because I'd seen enough in the first game of Nyland and the first game of that clown who... Uh, who was brought in to be his number two. And, and if you haven't seen it, uh, there's a video of him, Marrera, warming up, which is uh, it's astounding, really. We, we, we talk about this on the bonus FA Cup podcast that we did. Uh, but it's like, wow. But the first game where he actually saved a penalty and, and kept a clean sheet, I was I was thinking, this is not a goalkeeper. And you know, most people <laughs> who hadn't seen the game were going, oh, how can you slag him off? He saved a penalty and kept a clean sheet. He said, I just wait, I know goalkeepers, and that's not a goalkeeper. But yeah, so that was the, that was going to be Steve Bruce's downfall, and it was, and it's going to be any other manager who takes over at Villa's downfall mm. as well, unless it's sorted out. At least uh, Smith has got a, a window to do it, and he's he's made two positive moves by a getting Elphick back, who shouldn't have gone, considering how many centres backs we had and b and at the timing was uh, let's say 
getting Kalinic in in advance proved to be a shrewd move because obviously Nyland's uh, out for the rest of the season. Mm. Let's just hope that Kalinic improves uh, on his performance against Swansea, though. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you don't sound convinced with that. Well, we'll see. What I'd say with Smith is that there's been a little bit of unlucky with the injuries that we've had yeah. because he's lost ultimately one of your, if one of if not your best player. They've actually really missed Twan Zabi as well. Yeah, um, that was a, just yeah. his ball playing ability. Yeah, well, he was um, carrying you know, Chester easy, he, as well. To yeah, be honest. yeah, he was. You know, he's the best athlete in the back four, and he's probably the best footballer mm. on the ball mm. as well. Um, and that sort of you know, it goes under the radar a little bit because of the you know, the frailties that we have at the back. And if anything, you've seen in the the, the previous few games that our, our our back four admittedly isn't bad, but actually you defend as a unit and Villa don't. Our back four gets very, very like, criminally exposed because the guys in the middle of the park, you kind of have McGinn doing three people's defensive work, yeah. you know, for, for all of Horahan's great passing ability and I think he plays that deep role well and he can start things off and he's, as you said he's got a great set piece and he can nick a goal but I just don't see him having that nasty streak that you need to protect a back four that McGinn can have and when you've got someone like Grealish in the middle or other guys that want to get forward especially when you've got the likes of El Ghazi and Balassi who aren't going to track back what should be a five-man midfield when you're defending almost becomes a two-man midfield mm. And they just get run all over. You know, you're on to our back four before you've, you know, got started. And, you know, QPR did it. Leeds did it yeah. embarrassingly so. Swansea did it in the cup game. Preston managed to do it. It's kind of, it's this, it seems to be the same thing that we can't, the back four can't defend it. We can't seem to defend as a unit either. Let me throw something out at you. We know we haven't got the personnel to be classed as a solid defence, but looking at the way that Dean Smith, and Dean Smith has talked about his philosophy and he's talked about, we're going to score more goals than you. And, you know, if you you want to not only kill off, if you're 2-0 up, you still want to kill off the opposition because not only does it kill off the team in the actual game itself, if you get the third, it also sends a message out to the next team you're going to play. And then you look at what Dean Smith has done before. And, you know, as we said, uh, just siding on caution, his manager in five seasons, it's never finished higher than nine. Yet he's well-renowned and praised for the way he plays but attacking football always gets plaudits solid defensive football never gets plaudits it's always classed as boring and you know even Arsenal when they were 1-0 to the Arsenal when they were winning every game 1-0 but they were winning league titles at the same time Mm. defence is always the foundation that you build any team on and we're talking about almost in any sport as well like in NFL a good defence will win you the Super Bowl so it's part of it Smith's fault for being a bit too gun-ho and should he be a bit more reasoned in terms of uh, how, as you said, you know, we're playing uh, out-and-out wingers who sometimes don't actually track back. Is he being too gun-ho and is attack the best form of defence? And I think Tammy Abraham said it when he came uh, to Villa that, you know, we should be like the Manchester City of uh, the league, you know, blow teams away. Yeah. One thing I'd say, if you're going to, yeah, not that you can compare Villa to City, but one thing, (laughs) the big difference defensively is the way Smith wants to play is similar to City. It's a ball retention system, isn't it? You know, you win the game by keeping the ball. You don't, Villa aren't one of these teams that are going to let the opposition have the ball and shut the game down like Bruce would do. Um, Like, like, you know, in the playoff semi against Borough, he just said, right, we're going to put 10 members on the ball. You've got to beat us. We've got a one goal lead. It worked, but it was horrible to watch. Yeah, I wish you told us that before we turned up for the second leg. Smith's, Smith's approach is we want to play football. You know, we, when he first arrived, we had a high press, high intensity game. It seems like the high press has gone. 
the intensity's gone. And we can't retain the ball. You know, that's one thing we miss most about Grealish, as Dan said, is this control and in-game management that Grealish will take two players out from the opposition and he'll actually slow the game down when we need to just have a break and keep the ball. I think it's that ball retention has has moved from from where we want it, which is maybe from the middle third to the final third, that we've been forced or, or Smith's hand's been forced for whatever reason. To, to opt for a Whelan, who I think, for what he does, is a good disruptor. I don't think it's Smith's style of play, but it, that ball retention starts in front of the back four then. And that's the thing yeah. I've, I've noticed in the last few few games. That I think, and it's got it, slower and well, slower. I think it was against QPR. We started with neither El Ghazi or Balassi. Yeah. So we didn't have any stretch either, you know, and, and that's where... Oh, you've got to have a bit of stretch. Oh. Oh. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, you've got to have a bit of stretch. You've uh, you've also uh, you've got to have a bit of bird square one in your life on Spotify. Um, Thanks, mate. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you've got, <laughs> but the la- and that's why I think that I think that Dean Smith over the last few games, I think he's been he's been neither playing the style of play that he wants to play. I also don't think he's been having he's not been picking the players, and he he made reference to the fact of how many right backs he had in the team. A dig yeah. at Bruce. I think as much as anything, yeah, uh, yeah. but it doesn't. It's looked disjointed. Again, I don't. I have no issue with Alfik. I have no issue with with Whelan, but they're they're not our preferred players. They're not. You know, if if you had the two Anzebi available, who um, Chris just said, far better footballer, far more natural on the ball. We're starting to adapt to that style of play that that Smith wants to wants us to adopt. You know, it was more natural, and the loss of Grealish does does link into this a lot because you, you you're if you're out balls at a Whelan or a Grealish, it's a completely different proposition. I think. I mean, Grealish obviously because of his dribbling would commit opposition players and obviously free up space for our own players and his teammates. I think El Ghazi and Balassi also, are, you know, let's say, are pretty good dribblers and they can hold the ball up and and commit defenders, but. Uh, I don't really see them, let's say, stepping up to uh, compensate for Grealish because, as I said earlier on, that Grealish is out. Okay, it's you know it's taken one of the diamonds out of your team, but when you look across, mm. uh, the players are actually fighting for positions because they're, they're not all playing every game. There's enough talent there. I mean, Balassi's you know wages and transfer fee is way beyond anything that Grealish. Uh, been subjected to so far but I mean obviously Blassie's coming off from a serious one season injury but mm. still uh, should we be expecting more from him at this moment in, t- in time end product wise you'd say so yeah I think you, he's one of those players isn't he he reminds me a bit of Adama Traore and that you know every game he's going to have a moment mm. with a bit of wow factor and you know he'll make something happen but for for everything he makes happen you don't ever feel that he's going to Track Crystal back. Palace used to sign loads of those types of players, mm-hmm. like fan- fancy damn wingers that yeah. you know could do something. Zahar was like that for a long yeah, time, exactly, wasn't he? As well, yeah. um, and he's very entertaining. But sometimes you, you know, as you said, to to get promoted, you almost you just need consistency. And at the moment, we have no consistency in the team. There's there's too many people who'll have a good game one week and a bad game the next. And unfortunately, over the festive season, there were too many people had bad games at the same time and dips in form and fitness and it, it's all kind of happened at once mm. for them. And, you know, the flip side of think being that once everybody's back fit and firing, we've still got a good enough team that can more than likely be in the top six. I think, to be brutally honest, top two is gone. Yeah, um, I think losing to Leeds was probably the final nail in that coffin because I just I don't see us going on the kind of run that Fulham went on last year. You, with our you mentioned off air about a crazy statistic about our defence, which uh, you should obviously mention now, which really sums up what's what's gone wrong. Really, we've officially now conceded more goals than we did in the whole of last season, and it's only you know 
early January, which is a joke in itself. I mean, that's relegation form defensively. Yeah. It's appalling. Well, you can't start every single football game needing to score three goals. That's, yeah. that's the thing. And, and I think that, you know, it, what that creates is, and you were talking about how, how one nils can be perceived as boring, but it, it automatically mean makes you one nils. You know you're going to concede at some point. You know, you look at recent games and look how QPR played. QPR didn't... didn't didn't play a high press. They didn't. They didn't have long periods of control over the game, but they knew they'd get chances. Yeah. And I'm a huge fan of Abraham, but I do think he needs two or three chances a game. Sometimes we saw against Swansea in, in the FA Cup. At Hogan, you know, he had two great chances in the first half. I think he only had about seven touches overall, but he didn't put them away. And we do seem to get punished punished for that. And I think just to link into some of the the, the impact of of losing players and the impact upon those that remain. I think that I think that McGinn McGinn can't do that whole midfield centre midfield role on his own. It, it feels like he's having to do three people's jobs sometimes. Yeah, uh, it's just an observation, and and just to sort of defend Al Ghazi to a degree. And I don't think he he's been fantastic the last couple of weeks by any means, but I think he's complementary. You know, I think of how he played alongside Grealish at the Hawthorns. They were devastating together. You know, and I think that's where players like yes. Balassi's and, and and Al Ghazi's, like I say, but Balassi will will put in a fantastic ball. I don't think half the time he knows what he's going to do. Yeah. But he's it, it, he's got that propensity, as you know, like a trailer. I think he's a far better player. Grealish used to be considered a luxury player, and he's evolved mm. into. I mean, as we saw under Bruce, uh, you know, he became more of a box to box man, and he was getting stuck it, in. But he's now come we on considerably Grealish has. So that's the fact. So are Balassi and El Ghazi now luxury players? And I think that's what they are at the moment. And one of them actually needs to evolve into something more than that to really compensate for mm. Grealish's absence. I think you can afford in a game for one of them to be a not a passenger, but a bit of a luxury in a mm. game. But when they both aren't doing their duty, you know, one has to put a shift in defensively if, you, if the other one isn't. But there's the amount of times you'll see Balassi like shirking away from tackles and sort of, you know, just looking disinterested mm. until the ball comes to him. And both of those guys, they want to play facing the goal and running with the ball. And, and some of that comes down, again, to our disjointed passing game. You know, if we can get them into positions where they can run at defenders, mo- nine times out of ten, when you see them up against the championship fullback, you think they've got them in their back mm. pocket. Like they, they have the beating of most of yeah. what they're going to come up against, but we don't put them in the position to actually play to their strengths. You know, you'll, you'll have Al Ghazi playing with his back to goal, having like El Mohamedy launch the old Elmo ball down the line mm. to him for a flick on. You think that can't be surely what Smith's telling them to do. Like surely, I, I, can't, I can't see that's how he'd want them to play because I remember the the first game, especially that Swansea game when he first arrived, and they were so noticeably playing out from the back every time the keeper would knock it to the fullback mm. and they'd play yeah. out, and all of a sudden they've started playing from back to front again, and it just comes and because of the way we play midfield, Hurahan, Whelan, even McGinn because he's not a big guy, they're not going to win the ball in the air, and they're not necessarily going to win the second balls off the first header. So yeah. we've almost stopped playing to our strengths which is kind of baffling really that's a good point you make about about the ball retention bit because it's something i've definitely noticed the last three or four games is that we what we what we developed we were developing a nice um a nice knack off was that we'd, we'd we'd get the ball we'd and we'd we'd hold it for a period of time we wouldn't waste it um particularly against uh, swansea and definitely against qpr we'd work really hard to get the ball and then give it away so cheaply and that was a real brucism for me that we would we'd expend so much effort in in 
getting that ball back, especially against the better teams. Leeds was, Leeds was actually a very, very good example of that, that if you didn't want to give the ball away cheaply, and time and time and time again, we did across that game. And that's why even yeah. in the first half, when we were 2 up against them, they had so many chances and so many opportunities to break because we were so wasteful. Yeah, Le- Leeds were pretty shocking, actually, when it came to the final third because they did everything yeah. else right. Uh, just into Dean Smith's reign so far... And I think this table that I knocked up was before the last game, but I don't think uh, the game actually affects it in terms of placing. We we would actually be mm. seventh just under the games played under Dean Smith, which uh, I think is like 14 or so. We're not in playoff form if it was just exclusively those games that made up the, the league table at this moment. Uh, Hull, for teams like Hull and QPR and Birmingham City are, have outperformed us while Dean Smith has been a manager as well. So that shows you the difference. What those uh, we've we've had like is it five draws so far mm. under Smith alone? Yeah, too many draws. I mean, I I went through the whole season just before Christmas, looking at the, the games that we'd thrown away, and we're probably even if you were being very very conservative, we've probably thrown away at least ten to twelve yeah. points. And that's not even like there's games when we've been bad and we've thoroughly deserved to lose, but just games with stupid goals like, you know, the Reading home Mm. game, for example, that was two points dropped. Numerous other games, we should be at least 10 points better off than where we are. And not even because we were any better. And we're going to, we'll look back in May. And unfortunately, I fear that we will regret our actions in early August. Well, we can look back now and uh, say we've only won nine games of the 26 we've played which uh, considering we're in the championship is uh, that's very very poor and you're not going to do anything uh, in that with that form and we haven't won at home in five games which hasn't happened since we were relegated yeah I mean that's poor but we're still super positive about uh, <laughs> being in the Premier League next season <coughs> strangely there's, there's no reason why we can't oh, no, be because given I up. still look at those teams hang on, on, hang on, hang on. I, and, uh, someone's going to be number one Hell yeah, we are. <laughs> I think you've you've overegged that pudding. <laughs> yeah, I look at our side that we have now, and I think if we can get into that top six and go into a playoffs with in form this year, I would fancy Villa in a one-off game against any team in that division. Yeah, at well, we've seen that from just the games against Derby and uh, Middlesbrough. Yeah, over two legs, maybe we could be a bit ropey. But I think if we went into a playoff final, we'd go for it. And I don't think there'd be anyone who, if you know, if you've got a full strength Villa yeah. going for it, I don't think there'd be a team in that division who would stop them, as we've seen. You know, Middlesbrough had the best defensive record by a mile, and they got absolutely ripped to pieces. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver-assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. 
$45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Get up to 30% off wedding jewelry at bluenile.com and remember the joy of your wedding day forever. Blue Nile offers everything from diamond and lab-grown diamond wedding bands to classic pearls, earrings you can design yourself, even gorgeous sapphire pieces for your something blue. Whatever you choose, Blue Nile's pieces are all graded for excellence, for a lasting memento as brilliant as the love that inspired it. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Right, time is uh, getting on. Let's let's go to the where were you when you were good, and we'll consider this is still uh, the kind of wintry time of year, even though we are past the holidays now. But we're going to look at a game that happened in December 1998. If we did a Christmas edition, uh, we'd actually uh, run out of time. Uh, we would have thrown this one in as a good example of a Christmas game when Aston Villa played Arsenal. In December 1998. So the title holders, Arsenal, get the game underway against the would-be champions, Aston Villa, before a capacity crowd here at Villa Park. David Seaman's kick. Right beaten to it by Jungberg and then flicked on to Bergkamp, who tries the early shot and finds the net. So simple, so effective for Arsenal. Dennis Bergkamp is back. And Arsenal have the lead. Good header, Anelka finding Bergkamp. Back again to Anelka. He's got Overmars on in support. And Bergkamp's still there. And it goes back to Anelka. And Anelka's lost his man. Danger here for Villa. Pull back to Bergkamp. What a magnificent goal in first half stoppage time. Dennis Bergkamp is back with a vengeance. What a wonderful way to end the half for Arsene Wenger and Arsenal. Gareth Southgate. Collymore the target and he's won it brilliantly. Henry in behind him. Still Henry. Lays it on for Jochim. Excellent Villa goal. Julian Jochim, they're back in it. Watson to Henry. And Henry took a kick at his nearest man, Vivas. Then if the referee saw that, he could be in trouble. Meantime, it's Dion Dublin. And then the shot and Dublin turned it in. Dublin has equalised two goals in three minutes for Aston Villa the whole thing goes absolutely crazy and Aston Villa have come back from a two goal deficit Collymore on the near post coming in behind him is Dublin it's a goal Dion Dublin has scored and Aston Villa from two down are 3-2 in front stuff at Villa Park and Arsene Wenger cannot believe the way his side with their defence has been swept aside here. A rare Villa win against Arsenal. Oh, those those were the days when we could actually beat teams like Arsenal. I always, I always remember when I was a kid, Tony Woodcock scoring about five when they demolished us 6-2. And there was always a bit of, as a kid from that traumatic experience, there was always a bit of fear factor against Arsenal. But recently we didn't. It was the first ever goal. Was it Olaf Melberg scored at the Emirates? Was that the first ever goal at the Emirates? Yeah, it was and the that first one ever all, goal. And yeah. then uh, the, the amazing, is that first game of the season as well when we beat them three? one and Tony Moon yeah. scampered away from the halfway line mm. to round the keeper and make it 3-1 and then since then probably they've just 
they've just slapped us about like a rag doll, haven't they? Especially in the FA Cup final. But this time, oh, that was a horrible day. We don't talk about. But that. this time, uh, it was quite. A, the game was famous. I mean, whose idea was it to fly in Santa? <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> I have I mean, no idea. Wreck- Ironically, because Dennis Burkamp was afraid of flying as well and would never <laughs> <laughs> would go by train. Yeah, the irony. And that's why Dennis was scared of flying. I didn't think it was Dennis Burkamp dressed up as Santa there that was parachuting in into the ground. Sergeant Sergeant Nigel Rogoff. Yeah, we're referring to RAF parachutist <laughs> Sergeant uh, Nigel Rogoff, who, to celebrate Christmas, parachuted into the ground. What, what was it part of? It was our first parachute payment, I think. <laughs> <laughs> From Recon Group. <laughs> in advance. <laughs> Like uh, Keith Winers, <laughs> Recon Group with their time machine went back to 1998 to uh, put in Terminator. A, to, to, <laughs> to to uh, issue a payment put- that would hopefully grow interest, so they would be able to pay off that tax bill. <laughs> at almost thir- almost they put a down payment <laughs> on twenty a- years later. <laughs> There was a down payment on a Premier League team who were top of the table. Oh, how their investment went wrong. <laughs> well, that's our conspiracy theory. It was Recon's Terminator stroke time machine. Uh, Blame it on I the I think sheer. it was just a half-time uh, display, was it not? Just to get yeah, in the mood. stunt get, gone wrong. It's just a bit Christmas. in the mood uh, for Christmas. He, he ended up in hospital, did he not? I think he didn't. He, I think he, didn't he break both legs of pelvis and it was a, it was yeah, a serious pretty, injury. It was in a bad way for a while. Yeah. So it was a serious uh, injury, but this is in the time of, uh, take me back, uh, Chris, but this was John Gregory, was it not, uh, romping at the top of the Premiership? At the, at the time, wasn't it? We'd, we'd gone on our record unbeaten run, if I remember mm. rightly. It was not 12 games or something. We'd gone from sort of September this was to December. Up, uh, was it not from the season he took over from Brian Little and stormed the end of the season? Mm. And if you put the end yeah. of that season together with the start of uh, the season we're talking about, we'd have won the league hands down. Just say yes. Yes. Yes, we would. So talk me through this game. Uh, we've obviously just heard the highlights. Uh, two Burkamp goals put them 2-0 up. Yeah, they were 2-0 up at half-time. They were the then, you know, they were the Premier League champions at the time. You know, the famous was it Arsenal back four and Seaman in goal. So this is a, you know, when you go 2-0 down to them, you're not going yeah, back. game over. And then obviously, and then half-time happened and all... With the delay as then well. Then suddenly came out... Delay. Yeah, it was, wasn't it about a forty-minute yeah, half-time? Was it rightly. where they have to that game? Um, well, they were peeling Santa off the uh, Trinity. <laughs> but it also it was quite famous for, yeah. for the otherwise composed Gareth Southgate losing his losing his shit in the dressing room, wasn't it? For forty Aubrey. minutes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sign of things to come. And they came out and were incredible. They were incredible for you know it was probably one of you know Collymore always gets remembered for the famous you know Atletico Madrid goal, but. As far as a performance, when I was younger, that was probably one of the ones that I remember that he absolutely mm. battered Adams and yeah. Kean that day. You know, they had him, Julian Joachim, Dion Dublin as a front three, and they just ran and ragged. Yeah, for it's a shame about Collymore it because uh, it's it always with Collymore in terms of Aston Villa. Anyway, it's always what could have been because mm. he just mentioned Adams, uh, Adams and Keown so. there, and obviously that was. Uh, that Arsenal back four, I think we mentioned them earlier on in the podcast, uh, where Arsenal, you know, they could win any game 1-0 against whoever they, they played. They were so good defensively. But the fact that Collymore, you know, it's like boys versus men, and he could do that to any defence when he was obviously in the mood and in the groove. I think we just we just got the momentum, didn't we? If I remember rightly, I think Joachim pulled one back quite early in the second half, and we just got on top of them. 
And every time we went forward, we looked like we were going to cause them cause them problems. You know, we had Dublin, who at the time was probably one of, if not the form striker in the league at that moment, took took both his goals brilliantly. Was his sixth goal in four appearances at Villa Park, was it not? Well, his last four appearances. Yeah. yeah, he was on an amazing run at that point. I think he'd arrived, hadn't he, from Coventry. And I think he nearly scored a hat-trick mm. in his first game. He scored a hat-trick in his second game, I think. He scored another two the week after. He just I think I ran an in interview with him on the, on, on the Mom's website where he said he, he looking back, one of his only regrets at Villa was he, he could have had a hat-trick in each of his first three games, I think. Yeah, and should have. It was just one of those crazy games at Villa that we we haven't seen too many of since where Villa come back from you know two down against a very, very good side. My, my recollection of this game is, is, very, is very simple, really, that it was... Such a fantastic Arsenal performance in in the first half, and and Burkamp was at the height of his powers. Really, you know, a, a, yeah, he was incredible, it wasn't, wasn't he? At that point, for anyone who didn't see him live, and that you know, it was it was one of those that I was, a, you know, a teenager, and you see it, you see a, a to see a genuine world class striker. Yeah, as I say, at the peak of his powers was, was something else. The reason I mention it is that Arsenal was so good in the first half. You both right that. It, it it seemed completely implausible for despite how well Villa were playing generally that it would turn around and then in the second forty five Villa were fantastic and there was a thing about Gregory that he he had a um, this might be very fashionable a touch of Tim Sherwood about him I was where, about to mention that yeah <laughs> <laughs> where you just believe didn't you it was it, it was irrational <laughs> yeah. to some greater or lesser degree um, like like but, some but, cult leader. It was. I think the difference between a Sherwood and a, and a Gregory was that, that Gregory had some genuinely good footballers. Dublin was um, almost a throwback, actually, that, you know, a, a late developing pro and knew where the goal was. I think he knew how to play the crowd and put 100% in. You're right to mention Collymore. Collymore was, again, one of my, I think one of everyone wanted Collymore to come good. Yeah. And there were issues behind the scenes that, that were more complex and poorly understood at the time I think you know if you look back at some of Gregory's comments and, and how Collymore was was managed I think if it was today it would be it would be very different but in terms of in, in the confines of that game I think it, it really it links into other other threads and other narratives where Gregory infamously I think went to Ellis ahead of that that transfer window and you know asking for a couple more players to make that push and, and it didn't come Muzzy is it who uh, Gregory <laughs> thought was that was a bit later, wasn't it? I think from my recollection, he considered Muzzy is it who was he was like a superstar when it came to fantasy football. Old Muzzy is it? He considered <laughs> him of championship manager, wasn't he? <laughs> he? He considered him like one of the final pieces of the jigsaw. When you said it was later, I don't think it was because we were in pole position. I think at the time that he was interested in drafting him in, he was basically saying, "Look, Doug, we need to keep the momentum going." Yeah, I think I think there'd um, I think there'd been a couple of yeah. occasions, hadn't there? I think it's it's carried. I think it's I think the the biography is is the boss, isn't it? I think is the book that the Gregory played yeah. a couple of years or three or four years after after that, and, and you know you only get one side of the story, but it, yeah. it always seems to marry up the, the same with Ellis. Just, yeah, just to finish off my, my point, I think that it was one of those games that where you walk away thinking, bloody hell, this is this this could be the season. I think is is what I, why my memory would. Be. I was at the time actually in Australia. I'd been in Australia for a couple of months, just given up on life mm. in England, and best move I ever made, by the way. But I <laughs> obviously being in Australia, you, you lose a bit of that intimacy uh, of you know going to games regularly. 
because obviously it's a fuck of a long way to fly. Yes. So did, with that in mind, did the young Dan Rogers and the young uh, Chris Budd sitting, tucking into their Christmas turkey, think Villa mm-hmm. top of the league had a real chance of winning the league at that in that year? Well, that season. When I was about, I think I was 11 or 12, so I'd have been very young and naive. And I thought, yeah, it's on here. You know, and we, and we were consistent that year. You know, we weren't just a flash. We didn't look like we were a flash in the yeah. pan team. You know, we had Merson that had, you know, come through all his personal mm. problems and was beginning to be the player that he became at Villa, you know, slightly later. We had a goal scorer. We had Collymore, who was in theory another goal scorer. And, and Joe Achim was a handful. You know, you had a young Lee Hendry who was really starting to come good. Alan Thompson at that time was a good player. You know, he had an incredibly solid back Mm. four and goalkeeper. You know, I think you had Alan Wright, Steve Watson was playing right back at the time, Ekiog and Southgate. We know we had all the pieces. And then after Christmas that year, I think it was around February and March, we just imploded. For March whatever reason. was the month uh, that Martin O'Neill always imploded. He, he went several seasons without ever winning a game in March, if I remember correctly. Yeah. But I suppose in terms of the context of could Villa sustain this, you had the form of Gregory uh, when he took the job at the end of the season before, which, which obviously sustained over 12 or so games. So I suppose there was a reality yeah. that they could actually do it. I think there's a couple of... There's a, one other thing that it, it stoked my... Um, Memory went in a recent podcast that we did about how uh, I think it was it was spoken about how how Graham Taylor said that he the relationship deteriorated with with Ellis and with with the management of the club and I and I wondered yeah. whether that that it was a similar thing with Gregory that Gregory almost fell out of love with not with Villa but yeah. with the job almost because it became yeah I think he always felt that he he could have done more with Villa but it was despite Ellis having said that thinking about it the discontent at the time was that Gregory Gregory did what Ellis really hated and he was he got the fans on side yeah and and yeah. so that the story was always well Ellis never backed me you know, or she yeah. could have had all. You know, no, no one will ever know. Because I mean, Ron Atkinson said that, didn't he? Where he said, absolutely. Well, co- consecutive managers did the '94 uh, League Cup. He said, "Oh, Doug would have probably have preferred not to have won that, just to uh, remain more popular than you know I did yeah. by winning it." Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it, there's countless examples. I mean, Atkinson was obviously famous for announcing a player on the pitch before he'd even <laughs> <laughs> to force Ellis's hand, wasn't it? But I think that, that that was always my feeling that I think from that point on that as a as a Villa fan in at a time when it was you know not long after and a year or two after we'd won the League Cup we we put a good team together as you know you list some of those names and you know they, they don't go down necessarily as legends within um, with within Villa Villa circles but they had yeah. the makings of a great team you know the Alan Thompsons were hardworking Steve Watsons you know that they did great job in amongst that. And those are the things that you I think when you look back at successful teams, not just Villas and elsewhere, they're the, they're the, the unsung heroes, aren't they? The, the ones who go, oh, bloody hell, I forgot about it. He played 30 games in that season. But yeah. as was typical with Villa, that we, we badly lost our way when you think if we could have added two or three decent quality players alongside it to rotate and to accommodate for suspensions yeah. and injuries. And it's an unfortunate sign of the times as well. I mean, you look at the, the, the league table that year, if I remember rightly, I think was that, that would have been the season that United won mm, the treble, wasn't it? I think York, York had just gone to United and the sort of the, the top four monopoly of the Premier League hadn't really begun then. You know, United were good a very point. good side. Arsenal mm. had been dominant, but you look at the teams who were up there now, who, who ultimately overtook us even after the O'Neill era. Man City were nowhere to be seen. In fact, if I remember rightly, they were probably down in the third yeah. tier, well, if not on their way there, point, yeah. or close to it. Spurs were nowhere to be seen. So it shows the unfortunately that the heady heights we were at 
that, that this was an era when you'd get sacked for being outside the top six yeah. to Villa manager. If you were in the if you were if you were in the bottom half of the yeah. table, you were gone. But it's interesting because I always considered Villa the inaugural Premier League uh, season as Villa's chance to uh, mm. build legacy, shall we say? But when I think about it, you know, Ron Atkinson was a manager, and he was never really known for being a great league manager over the course of the season. Obviously, he he had the nous to uh, you know win a cup or two or three. But when it came to the long haul, there was an issue there. But I thought if we had pipped United, that would have derailed United. Would it have really derailed them in terms of any long term? I you know, probably doubt it. It just probably put off the inevitable. But it would have given Villa in a new world that was the Premier League or was it the Premiership at that time? They rebranded it. They rebranded the Premier it. League yeah, it would have been, yeah. Douglas would have. <laughs> but maybe that would have pushed dug into uh you know getting a few more extra players because i thought you know ron atkinson knew how to wheel and deal and we may have sustained it a bit longer because obviously we did go on to win a cup uh, the season after but and i always thought that was the last chance of villa but this era you know the john gregory was actually as as we've just discussed uh, a real chance to get a foot in before the uh, the top four or six started to assemble itself because spurs are nowhere near in the you know what they were now well, there was a group of teams. I mean, your Everton's and Spurs were very much the same. Yeah, Chelsea were kind of bubbling around, but not really. Uh... At that point, they hadn't had the Russian millions arrive then, had they? The whole days of the, of the international sort of sugar daddies hadn't really begun then. So this was a chance to actually build some legacy. And obviously the money was going up and up. And we could have, you know, had a little nice little patch there. Unfortunately, it just sums up the, the modern era of Villa and the theme that's run throughout just seems to be opportunities wasted. Yeah, 98. That was a big opportunity missed. I was away, so I was just following it. I mean, from those days, uh, that yes, there was the internet, but it was, wasn't was the beast that it is now. There was definitely no social media. So you're just looking at scores in the, the Sydney Morning Herald uh, like a day later or something. So we never, I, I was never that invested. Uh, and, you know, I was having to get up at silly o'clock to uh, watch any of the live games on Sky. And I suppose in that era as well, when you're sat on Bondi Beach, it's a bit easier to look at the paper and go, yeah, I'm going to get smashed for you at the weekend. Fucking bothered. Yeah, something like that. So I, di- I didn't get the intensity and I, don't, and I don't remember when it all fell apart as it obviously it did uh, in that pre-spring era. Anyway, enough of that. If you, uh, unless you've got anything else to add, gentlemen. So yeah. enough of that. If anybody else has got uh, a, a game or a period that they want included in the Where Were You or even a moment. Oh, I mean that that pass from Rob's, Robert Snodgrass against Burton. <laughs> and I can remember where I was when I when that was that, when, we, that was we, good. when we started the show. Uh, <laughs> we were going to do uh, well. We're, we're going to have to do that in another show now. The, uh, the like the look back at the highlights of uh, 2018, <laughs> and on the Facebook page of myomansaid dot com, uh, Facebook dot com stroke myomansaid, the Facebook. Uh, page i asked for like your 2018 your top three moments and uh you know the usual stuff beating blues uh horan's goal mcginn's goal uh hudson's goal cabbages Cabbages. etc etc and somebody said snodgrass's (laughs) pass against burton (laughs) the straws are being truly clutched at i mean these are the that's the type of straw that a turtle is choking on in, somewhere in the South Pacific. That's how desperate. <laughs> but it, but I, I don't know. I, I find it comforting that out there, there is an Aston Villa aficionado 
who takes... I hope it's a good pass. I mean, I want to see it. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I mean, it's a worldy of a ball. <laughs> Sees the beauty in a Snodgrass pass against Burton beyond anything that McGinn did against Sheffield Wednesday or Hutton did against the Blues. Or anything that Dr. Tony did for the club. That was the defining moment. I think he can really appreciate a slide yeah, rule no, ball. Uh, I, I, yeah, that was good. It was good to have some uh, fresh input. But we will have to uh, locate the full 90 minutes of that Burton game. <laughs> which one Which one was it, by the way? <laughs> I'll find it. Don't worry. There'll be a, there'll be a gift somewhere. <laughs> Anyway, mm. on that note, uh, don't forget, please do uh, become a patron. Also, you can buy a, a podcast T-shirt now with the uh, album cover on the front. So just go to myomensaid.com shop. We'll try to knock out a few shows now, as well as a regular bonus patron show. Uh, this one is our, uh, would you call it reaction to the uh, the FA Cup as a whole and also that Swansea game? Yes. I think it's yeah. our despair, really. And it's our in-depth goalkeeping analysis of uh, Lavel Kalashnikov. Oh, yes. As well and as Marrera. Yeah, of course. Who can forget? Pray for Nyland. <laughs> the, the masterclass. masterclass. <laughs> I thought it was really good that we sent Nyland for surgery at, at, a, at a clinic that required improvement under the category of surgery. Yeah. Right. Until next time, it's goodbye <laughs> from me and it's goodbye from them. Ta-ra. Goodbye. My old man said. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the Pro Pilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver-assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. Give them a gift they'll never forget, because they'll still have it years later. American Giant makes clothes that just keep getting better with age. Like their iconic full-zip hoodie that's designed to last for decades, because a gift they'll wear for years is a gift that keeps on giving. So be a gift-giving giant this holiday season at American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code GRATEFULAG23. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, code GRATEFULAG23. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.